0: Conversations with prominent pastors, teachers, and leaders. This is the Pastor Well Podcast from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Now your host, Dr. Herschel York.
1: Hello and welcome to the Pastor Well Podcast. I'm Herschel York, Dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I also serve as pastor of the Buckron Baptist Church in Frankfort, Kentucky. Pastor Well is dedicated to helping servants of the Lord Jesus Christ be more faithful in ministry. We do that by engaging in conversation with significant leaders. And today we are delighted to welcome Dr. Heath Lambert, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida, uh to our podcast welcome heath good to have you
0: it's absolutely a pleasure to be here i've said to you many times that i love and respect and appreciate you and value your ministry and, and our friendship so i'm happy to be here
1: well it, it is a joy thank you for those those kind words uh so you have been here at first jack since uh 2016 you you came here and then became senior pastor in september of
0: 2017. Yep. Uh, tell us about this church Okay. So uh, First Baptist Church is, uh, I I think, I haven't even been here long enough to take credit for this. So I think everybody would agree that First Baptist has been one of the most significant churches in the history of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Massive investment in the Southern Baptist Convention. Massive investment in the city of Jacksonville. One of the the things I discovered after I became senior pastor is that uh, when I go places, people will Introduce me as Heath Lambert, pastor of the Great First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, right. and and so that's true in the state of Florida. That's true in the city of Jacksonville. That's true in the Southern Baptist it's, Convention. It, right,
1: it's one of the most significant churches in the SBC historically. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely key in the conservative resurgence.
0: Yes, that's right. And so it's a little bit overwhelming because, uh, nobody says the great Heath Lambert. Uh, I just got <laughs> plopped into this thing. Uh, and so I feel very much like, uh, the Lord, uh, must have a sense of humor to put, uh, somebody like me who, who objectively, I, it's not, it's not false humility. It's a true analysis of the situation. I am not a good enough leader or a good enough preacher to be the pastor here. There isn't anybody, any, any pulpit committee that would have selected me for this work. It just it was good and right in the eyes of the Lord for me to be here and and it happened. So uh I'm thankful to be here. Well it's an extremely happy providence of God
1: uh and I want us to get there, but I I, I want the Pastor Well audience to know about who you are. You have a an incredible story about how you came to faith in Christ. Could you share that with us?
0: Yeah so uh, I grew up in a uh, very unbelieving home, if you can if you can qualify unbelieving with very. But it it wasn't just like uh, nobody was a Christian. It's like there was the presence of animosity towards Christians. Uh, my mom had grown up in a, a religious home and hated the Bible, hated the God of the Bible. Um, she was a uh, promiscuous woman, uh, and she. Uh, had an affair and I was the product of that, me and my twin brother. Uh, She thought that if she got pregnant, her guy would leave his wife. She wanted to leave her husband and they'd live happily ever after. And he decided he had a pretty good deal at home and wasn't going to do that. And so we were born and because the gamble didn't work my mom had a chip on her shoulder about us and uh, she left uh, the man i called my dad uh, she left him anyway kicked him out of the house on christmas night and was lonely and angry and started uh, a serious problem with alcohol addiction and regularly abused me and my brother tried to kill us a few times we were in in foster care And uh, I got saved uh, my freshman year of high school, uh, went through all of this and just hating my mother and hating life and just wondering what this whole thing was about. But some Southern Baptist Christians across the street from uh, my high school at the church they went to shared the gospel with me. And uh, I believed on February 20th, 1994, uh, I believed that uh, Jesus uh, died on the cross for my sins and uh, I trusted him and walked with him ever since and started to uh, share the gospel with my mom. It took 13 years, and we went from just total hatred of, I mean, she didn't like Christians, and now here I was one, and then I became a pastor, and so now I'm training other people to be Christians, and she thought that was just terrible. But uh, but slowly but surely, over 13 years, uh, she softened. And uh, uh, one one day uh, in her house, uh, we prayed over 1 John 1, 9, and she confessed her sins and knew Jesus forgave her. Didn't know at the time that um, she only had five years to live, uh, but she died of cancer five years later. But truly, in in those five years, she became an incredibly godly woman, a good mom, a good mother-in-law, a good grandmother. I came to her house one time, and she said, uh, hey, I want you to know who I just got off the phone with. And she had called the now ex-wife of the guy who was my biological father and uh, I, I won't say her name, but uh, but she said, hey, listen, I want to confess to you that I destroyed your marriage, and uh, I am so sorry. I know I did terrible damage, but she said, I've become a Christian. Jesus has forgiven me, and I want to ask you if you will, and she said, I will forgive you because Jesus forgave me of my sins too. It was this incredible moment. My mom died a few years later, and then my the man I call my dad, he died as well. And at that point, actually, right before we came down to Jacksonville, uh, I didn't know if I'd ever be back in that part of Kentucky again. And so I went to visit my biological father, who I had never met. And uh, uh, I just said, hey, we never met before. Uh, I'm not upset with you. I don't want anything. God has taken care of me. I'm grateful for you. Uh, In fact, I'm just here to say that in the providence of god our lives have been woven together in this weird way and i just want to let you know that the most important thing that ever happened to me was when i repented of my sins and trusted in jesus christ and i want to ask you if you do that and he said heath i want you to know i've already done that and uh, he said he said i know who you are he said uh, i was uh, i was a sinful man he said there were many other women besides your mother And several years ago, when his third wife left him, he realized he was in trouble and he went to church and he repented of his sins and he asked for forgiveness and Jesus did what he does and he forgave him. And he said, I want to thank you. And he pointed to his bookcase and books that I've written were on his bookcase. And he listened to the podcast I did at the time and he listened to any sermon he could find online. And he said, you are discipling me. And he said, I've tried to call you. I haven't known how to start that conversation, but he said, I just want you to know that Uh, The lemons I gave God, he used to make lemonade. And I'm thankful for the impact you're making in the kingdom of Jesus. And if it makes any difference to you, I'm proud of you. And I thought, all right, Jesus, uh, you're the only one who could do that. I mean, you're the only one who could make all that happen. So that's 10 minutes or less on the story.
1: Well, I'm I'm in the dust Mm. over that.
0: Mm.
1: Man, only the gospel can account for that. Yep. That's right. Uh, just a marvelous thing. Here's my my question. How do you come out of a childhood like that in any way halfway normal? I mean, you know, salvation is not an automatic pass right. from difficulties and
0: and uh, scars of the past.
1: Yeah. How, how, how did that happen?
0: Yeah. You know, the way I've said it is there's no nine-year-old who's sitting there afraid of their mother and hungry and in foster care. And you go, I'm going to pull myself up out of this and not be damaged by it. Nobody does that. You don't even have the equipment to do that. Uh, I think there uh, are two really significant factors. First, uh, under God, my father, the man I call my dad, uh, he, uh, from the get-go, his name's on my birth certificate. He's my legal father. His last name's Lambert. My last name's Lambert. He took ownership of us from the get-go, and he knew there wasn't any way in heaven or on earth that we were his kids. But he's like, I'm taking care of these boys. He fought for us during the years of my mom's drinking and was truly a selfless and a sacrificial man. Uh, between him and my, uh, also not my real grandmother, but we call her my She was my babysitter from the time we were two weeks old because my mom didn't care about us. She quit taking money for us a couple of years in. And so these two people, and, and these two people, my dad, not my real dad, and my mamma, not my real mamma. I saw people who were selfless and sacrificial. And I always knew the way my mom is acting is crazy. That is wrong. And, and I saw an image of the good in these two people. And then apart from that, I was just talking a few minutes ago with a room full of people over there about Joseph, Uh, and, and what he's able to do when those brothers when they know here's the guy who's the second most powerful man in the world and he can do anything he wants to us now that his dad is dead and our dad's dead and they go hey guess what we're your servants and you don't you don't remember that whole slavery stuff do you and he says guys don't be afraid uh you meant evil for me but god meant it for good and there is that moral clarity of hey he acknowledges there's evil. There's no defense of it. It's bad. It's what you do. I mean, slavery and trying to kill people. And that's terrible stuff. But while you were doing that, God was working for good. And so I'm just telling you, I just trust the Lord. I see um, sleeping underneath shrubs and getting hit and thinking I was going to die, thinking I was going to die and go to hell because uh, I knew hell was real even when I was little because I had a granny that scared me half to death with it. Uh, and, I, I, and I see all that. And I see God making me now uh, a more gentle husband, a more gentle dad. I've never had in pastoral ministry, anybody think I don't get it when they're suffering because they hear my story and they're like, yeah, you get it and you can help us. And so sinful people were doing horrible things, but God was making a saint, a pastor, and somebody who would help other people. And so I just trust his path on it at what
1: point in your story did did you meet lauren
0: your your wife so we were uh i was a senior in high sc- uh, senior in college uh she was a junior in college and we went to christian school but it was a pretty small one and i decided i'd met all the girls and i wasn't going to marry any of them and then she walked across <laughs> the room with a diet coke and a red sweater and i'd never seen anybody so beautiful and it's amazing how you
1: can still remember what she was wearing yeah I- I- same memory of my life. First time <laughs> Jeans,
0: a red sweater, these leather shoes, and a Diet Coke. I was in love the first time I saw her. Really, I was, too. Yeah, I'd, I'd I never did. seen a girl so beautiful. Yeah.
1: And uh, how long did you date?
0: Uh, so I always say that uh, our uh, our dating was a process of me waiting until it was appropriate to tell her what I felt like two days in. <laughs> so I didn't want to be a weirdo and say the second day that I wanted her to get married to me. Uh, but, uh, but we were, uh, we dated for eight months, uh, eight or nine months, and then we're engaged for nine months. So. And you've been married how long now? We've been, we're in our 17th year of marriage. So we'll celebrate 18 here in a few months. And, uh, you have children. We have, uh, Carson, a 14 year old, Chloe, an 11 year old and Connor, a nine year old. Uh, so yesterday
1: I was, uh, I get to have a meal with you and several other people and i noticed at one point we were all talking and you and carson both were trying to answer a question or something i think that i had i had asked and i and i saw you reach over and say to him oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you there mm-hmm. and i just thought what what an act of kindness mm-hmm. uh, in that one little thing you showed first of all just the way you regard him and treat him and wanted him to feel valued and part of the conversation you didn't have the i'm the dad syndrome. Uh, uh, And so when I hear your story and I see with my eyes, just the the kindness you show to your own children, it just makes me marvel at the grace of God. Uh, Tell me about your marriage
0: to Lauren. Uh, What do you guys uh, like to do? Yeah. So uh, Lauren is the most interesting person I have ever no. I mean, just as personality goes, she's just, I call her my spicy Italian. She's Italian. Uh, and, uh, her grandparents came over on the boat and really? so she's, she's Italian and she just is, she's an incredible woman. She is the most loyal person I've ever met. Uh, she has got a circle of trust that is surrounded with concrete and is miles high. And when you're in, you can't get out. I mean, she just, so she is, she's a very loyal woman. She loves, jesus she's really funny i i uh the i dated a girl right before lauren who was a uh, sweet girl love jesus a uh, nice girl but i was bored to tears mm-hmm. and then i met lauren and she's like this firecracker and i realized i can't be with somebody who doesn't have any spice who doesn't have any uh uh like her level of of interest so she is uh, uh so we've been married for uh, for these years now and uh she is the most loyal Uh, most faithful. There's never been anybody I've ever known that has been more interested in me and what I'm doing. I can get an email from the IT people here with my new password. She's like, now what's the new password? I mean, she just is, she's just interested in everything I'm doing. She is totally sold out to me and our kids. She uh, stays home and takes care of them and keeps our home. And she's just an incredible woman.
1: Well, in these 17 years you've been married, you've done several things. So you've been pastor, you've pastored small churches, right? You were a professor at Southern Seminary, Mm -hmm. and uh, you are an author. Mm -hmm. I've written several books. So uh, how has Lauren worked, how she fit with you in those ministries?
0: Yeah, so uh, she has always been the uh, most trusted and most honest advisor. So one of the things I've found out over the years, when you're the boss, sometimes it's hard to get Mm -hmm. candid reflection, and I hate that. In fact, the people who know me the best will tell you the least favorite thing about my life is that I have to go fishing to get, like, I'm not fishing for a compliment. I want to know if the sermon stunk, I want to know because I can't get better if if you don't tell me if it stunk. And so Lauren will always, she's she's always gracious. She's always kind. She's always thoughtful. But she'll always tell me if, if she thought it was really good, she'll say, honey, that was really good. That is the best sermon I've ever heard you preach. And if she thinks it's the worst sermon she's ever heard me preach, she'll tell me that too. And she'll tell me why. So uh, what does
1: that conversation look like when uh, she doesn't think you preached a a great sermon? What's it sound like?
0: So um, uh, I'm her favorite preacher, she says. So, which is incredible because when, when you've got somebody who's like, honey, you're the best preacher in the whole world. When, when she is then telling you, that I don't think this work it's not like I'm defensive about it you know right. so I'm I'm able to hear it uh, and she'll just say, hey, I don't think this worked or I don't think this made any sense or you're going to get a lot of emails about that uh, because we're debriefing in the car, me and the kids. Everybody's talking about what happened at Sunday school, what happened as they were talking with people, what happened in the music, what happened in the sermon. And so it, you know, the kids will be like, hey, Dad, what did you mean by this? And I didn't follow this. And Lauren will say, I don't think this worked. Or she'll say, I think that was great. It was a really good job. So it's just part of the conversation that we have and it's and it's the regularity of it that accommodates the, if something isn't working. And she's a faithful Critic, you know that's oh, yeah. the thing. You know, you trust her. That's right.
1: But a lot of your ministry, uh, especially in the situation you're in, a, you're you're pastoring and leading a large downtown Baptist church with all kinds of uh, maintenance uh, issues. You know, deferred maintenance and all that you're having to face. So, you have recently led the church to make some major decisions. Yes. And what what has that looked like?
0: So, um, First Baptist. A remarkable church uh, We said at the beginning an incredible church also a really big church thousands of people go here we have a budget in the millions, but as true as that is for 20 years the church has been in overall decline and I was confronting a situation when I got here that we just have not taken care of the apparatus uh, the physical plant the buildings uh, even personnel uh, a personnel uh, a staff that was far, bloated far beyond what the church should be uh, affording. And even staff people in the wrong places. And so it's not just we got too many, it's we need to get people in the right spot on the bus, and uh, that kind of thing. So it has been a couple of years of, of, of just really saying, hey, we need to get our house in order. If what we're supposed to do is tell the city of Jacksonville that Jesus is alive and is saving them from their sins, then we've got to be able to run efficiently in order to be able to do that. And so what the church has agreed to do is to take uh, our 11 city blocks in downtown Jacksonville, we're the largest private landowner in Jacksonville, uh, and to sell almost all of that and to go down to one city block. So from 11 blocks to one block, from a million and a half square feet of space to 200,000 square feet of space, which is what we need. We, we'll fit in 200,000 square feet. <coughs> we're, we're spread out too much now. So we'll sell that property. We're spending $30 million to renovate uh, the- 30 what, million to renovate. 30 million to renovate, tear down, and build some new buildings. So part of it's reno, part of it's destruction, part of it's construction.
1: Do you, uh, so it it would be hard to lead a church through that kind of significant decision and change if you'd been there 20 years. Yes. You're doing it on the front end of your ministry. Yes. how How's it gone? What's their response been? I mean, what, what kind of trust do you feel they have?
0: Uh, I would say uh, as far as the church is concerned, uh, I feel nearly... I'll say 99% backing. Wow. Uh, I have had, you know, when we voted on it, uh, I think the official vote was something like 3,500 voted in favor of the plan, and it was like three or four that voted against it. Wow! Since that time on September the 8th, um, it is uh, it has been high fives for me. I mean, people, and, and what I hear is we saw this and we wondered when people, when somebody was just going to finally tell us the truth. And so what I say to senior staff, what I say to lay leadership, what I say in front of the church is, hey, facts are our friends, and what I'm going to do is tell you the truth. And one of the great things about First Baptist Church is that it is a church that is defined by a remarkable amount of horse sense. And they know, uh, they have been well trained and equipped that they are here to speak of Jesus in this city. And when you tell them, our numbers don't add up to keep doing that in the future without a realignment they get on board real quick and they are eager to be one of the things I've said is, Hey, we, we've got to care more about our vision to reach a city than our memories of what we have accomplished. And people love that. They, they don't want to just remember the good old days. They want to be invested in being a church of the future. And so honestly, everybody is excited. I think I've talked to two people who are really upset with me about this and thousands of people who are thrilled that we're doing it.
1: Well, you did it so well again, just being honest. I I saw the video that you, that you put out uh, on the Sunday that you unveil this as church, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I thought, man, that's great leadership. One other thing I want to talk to you about, and that is, you, you've written a book called "Finally Free" mm-hmm. uh, about breaking the stronghold of pornography in a life. Mm-hmm. As a pastor and a seminary professor, I have seen this change literally change the landscape the ubiquitous nature of pornography, the easy availability, the access that children have now to pornography. I've had students at Southern Seminary tell me that they, they got addicted to pornography from eight or nine. Mm -hmm. Uh, You see hope even in the middle of, of this. Uh, How can someone be free from this terrible, terrible, addiction and stronghold?
0: Well, it's honestly, it's, it's Romans five and where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. And so there is, so the Bible provides the shout that you are not a slave to sin. When you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus, Jesus gives grace to change. Uh, so that's that's the that's the banner of truth and the banner of hope that is over every life that would be enslaved to any sin and pornography is no different. Jesus, uh, grace is more powerful than the hold of pornography. And so then, uh, what you got to do is figure out, okay, what are the means of grace that Jesus uh, gives us to break. Uh, the stranglehold that pornography can have in a life. And so that's what the book is about. The book is about here is how Jesus's grace of forgiveness and transformation happens. And here are eight strategies that you can begin to employ as soon as you read the chapter to take steps and be different.
1: Well, I keep a stack of them in my office at Southern and at, at Buck Run. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, my wife Tanya uh, has taught a seminary wives class for more than 20 years the time that we've been at, at Southern and more than 20 years ago, uh, she, she allows the the wives to submit questions that she will answer uh, the following week. And about half the questions that she got when we first came to Southern were of the order, you know, all my husband wants to do is have sex. How can I match his desire or tone him down? I called it the frisky seminary student question. And she, it was about half the questions submitted, something yeah. like that, a third to a half. Fast forward 15 years, and the number one question submitted—probably two two-thirds to three-fourths of the questions submitted—are my husband never wants to have sex. Yeah. Uh, if we think that this is a problem just a few of our men are having, we're wrong. If we think that it's something that only lay people are having, we're wrong. The tentacles of this are wide. Yeah. Uh, And we have got to get the message of that grace that you're talking about out there. Uh, And your ministry has just been so fantastic in that. You're trained uh, as a counselor, Mm -hmm. and uh, you were even executive director of the what's the name name of the Association of Certified Biblical
0: Counselors. Rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, it really does. (laughs) Uh,
1: So, uh, tell me how you see your preaching ministry and counseling ministry. How, how did they intertwine?
0: Yeah, so uh, I never wanted to be a counselor. Uh, I only ever wanted to be a preacher. I only ever wanted to be a pastor. And what happened was uh, when I started out in pastoral ministry, I realized everybody wanted to talk to me and uh, about their problems. And I'd go to these pastor meetings and I'd say, uh, do you meet with people for counseling? And they'd say, no, I don't meet with anybody for counseling. And I'd say, well, how come everybody wants to talk to me? And they'd say, well, they want to talk to me. I'm just not doing it. And I just decided, you know what, Uh, preaching and counseling are sister disciplines. They're both ministry of the Word. Preaching is ministry of the Word to, it's the general ministry of the Word to a group. Counseling is the particular ministry of the Word to an individual. But I don't want to be the kind of man, you know, Jesus, you read the Gospels, uh, it's five to one, conversations to preaching. Uh, and so I just decided I want to have a ministry like Jesus, and I'm going to be able to, by God's grace, deliver the word uh, in a conversation as well as from the pulpit. And what I find is the um, studying for preaching helps you in your facility with the word that you need in the moment when you're having a conversation with somebody and you don't have time to go do the study right in front of them. you got to know. Mm-hmm. And so studying for preaching Uh, puts the word in your heart. And counseling helps you make it applicable. I'm not, when I'm preaching, I'm not having a conversation with commentaries and 500 year old books. I'm reading those things, but I'm having a conversation with people. I'm not, I'm not identifying specifics, but I know, I know the struggles that people are having. I know what it's like to struggle with this sin. And I'm having a conversation with actual people in the room and not just books. And so I think. Hope that it makes my preaching more practical and accessible.:
1: Well, I've always uh, heard that strain in your preaching. It is incredibly practical. I'm one who believes that that exposition without application is an incorrect way to preach. and you really, I think, combine the two extremely well. Uh, I like to conclude my conversations on uh, Pastor Well with uh, what I call the twinkling of an eye round. Just ask several uh, random questions. Uh, get your thoughts. Uh, what, uh, what two or three preachers have influenced you the most? Uh,
0: so Bill Barkley, uh, who is a Presbyterian pastor and was my new Testament professor boss as I was his teaching assistant. He was my pastor for a little while. He did mine and Lauren's pre-marriage counseling. He presided over our wedding ceremony. And I remember, uh, listening to him preach, uh, when I was in college and going, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. I want to preach uh, that way. He preached expositionally, he preached clearly, he preached practically, uh, and I thought I want to be like that. Uh, And then, you know, also R.C. Sproul. Mm -hmm. Uh, R.C. Sproul is uh, his use of story and narrative to deliver a point. I think is probably better than just about anybody's he's uh, there are passages of scripture that I think about and understand because of a story that, uh, that R.C. Sproul told. And so probably those two, there are others, but those would be two early ones.
1: Are there one or two books that you think uh, every uh, preacher should read?
0: Uh, I think every preacher should read preaching and preachers. I think it's, it's Jones. yeah, I just don't even know uh, what you do. Uh, not uh, not preaching that way, and I'll also shout out to my mentor who is in heaven. Uh, I would say every preacher ought to read "Seeing with New Eyes" by David Pallison. It's a counseling book, but he sees the human condition, uh, I think, uh, more than anybody that was his contemporary. And and it's not a, again, it's not a preaching handbook, but you're preaching to people that he sees with crystalline clarity, and I think it'll help.
1: What do you do to decompress any hobbies any what do you do with your downtime
0: so uh i gave up on hobbies and said my hobby is going to be my wife and my kids Mm -hmm. and so uh so when i am home uh, we are watching movies, playing games, having tickle fights, and then I spend time with the kids too. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that coming; it was still funny. <laughs> and, uh, and I like to read, and so I squeeze that in when I can. Uh, Lauren and I, we like to go to the beach. It's worth it to live in Florida. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but I've just said my my hobby is going to be the Lambert family.
1: Uh, do you have a favorite vacation spot?
0: Uh, There is a place about 50 minutes down the road, five-oh minutes down the road from our house near St. Augustine. uh, And uh, none of us like to travel, but we all need to get away. And so we can get in the car and be there in 50 minutes. And uh, it's great. We sit by the pool and splash in the water and have a great time.
1: Do you remember the first sermon you ever preached? I do. What was it?
0: Uh, It was on Acts uh, chapter 2. Uh, on the four things that the early believers did, and everybody says their uh, their first sermon, you know, they planned for thirty minutes and it lasted eight minutes. Mine was forty five minutes, so uh, it was it was a forty five minute sermon on Acts chapter two and and the, what the believers. Where did, did. you preach that? Uh, at the church where I got saved and the first church that I pastored, Farmdale Baptist Church in Louisville, in Kentucky. Louisville. Yeah.
1: Well, Doctor Lambert, uh, first of all, I want you to know I'm a fan. I'm cheering you on, I pray for you regularly. I'm so thankful the Lord has raised you up and is using you as he is in so many in so many ways. Uh, and uh, it is a joy to count you as my friend. And uh, thank you today for being on Pastor
0: Well. Listen, I feel the same exact way about you. Very grateful for you, very grateful for your ministry and so glad to be with you.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, and uh, join us again next time on Pastor Well. Don't forget uh, to uh, subscribe. On YouTube or your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next time on Pastor Well.